look in your Bibles to the book of Matthew, to chapter 20. Matthew, and in chapter 20, I'd like to begin reading in verse 20, and read through verse 29. Our subject this morning is conditional salvation. Is a title, maybe be confusing to some, Maybe we can see the meaning as we go along this morning. Matthew chapter 20, now began in verse 20. Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? She saith unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit the one on thy right hand and the other on the left in thy kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, Ye know not what ye ask. Are ye able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They say unto him, We are able. And he saith unto them, Ye shall drink indeed of my cup, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my Father. And when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brothers. But Jesus called them unto him and said, You know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you, but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief, among you, let him be your servant, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. And as they departed from Jerusalem, a great multitude followed him. Lord willing, we'll speak to you this morning from verse 28. But first, I want us to note the context. You'll notice in verse 20, where we began our reading, that the verse begins with the word then. I guess I'm a little strange in my Bible study, but when I read the word then, a question automatically comes to my mind, and the question is when. I always want to try to see if I can find the when of the then. So back up, if you would, to verse 17, and notice the when of the then in verse 20. In verse 17, and Jesus going up to Jerusalem took the twelve disciples apart in the way and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man shall be betrayed 
unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him, and the third day he shall rise again. That is the when. You'll notice in verse 20, it says then. Then the mother of James and John came with James and John to Jesus asking this question. Her question or her desire request in verse 20, grant that these my two sons may Sit the one on thy right hand, the other on thy left, in thy kingdom. I would think if there ever was bad timing, this was it. Jesus had just told of his death and of his resurrection. And then the mother of James and John with the two come to Jesus Asking this question. Jesus told her and them in verse 22, You know not what ye ask. You know not what ye ask. They came with a selfish attitude. They came with greed and lust. And these are prominent disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 24, the other disciples of the Lord heard this and they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. And I would suppose that was because they asked such a question, seeking a preeminence in the kingdom of the Lord and that they asked it at this time. When their minds should have been upon the words of Jesus concerning his death and resurrection. You'll notice in verse 20, verse 27, he said, Whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. James and John wanted to be chief. They wanted a place of preeminence. And Jesus said, if you want to be the chief, you need to be the servant. Then notice, if you would, in verse 28, he said, even as. He holds himself up as an example of this. Certainly he is chief among all, but notice what he said. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. You notice Jesus refers to himself here as the Son of Man. It is a, a title of himself that he reserves for himself. No one else in the New Testament refers to him as the Son of Man, but that's how he refers to himself. And you'll notice he said in verse 28, the Son of Man came. And I'm just going to stop there for a moment. 
these words, the Son of Man came, are in and of themselves a, a glorious thought for the people of God. He actually did come. And how we ought to rejoice in that. When he did come, you might remember that the angels of God did, did sing glory to God in the highest. And how we ought to also rejoice in this matter. The Son of Man came. We do not know all that's involved in that. We know that in coming, he had to leave the very height of glory in heaven and come down to this sin-cursed earth. He came on a mission of mercy and in grace. He came from heaven voluntarily to live here upon this earth. There's not one of us today who willed ourselves to live upon this earth. But he did. He did. He willed himself to come down to this earth. And he is again in verse 28 holding himself up as the example of a servant. Of a servant. He did not come to benefit himself in any way, but for the benefit of all that the Father had given him. He came on a mission of redemption and salvation. He came on a mission of, of mercy. He came to suffer and to die, bearing the sins of his people. He came to give them eternal life by freeing them from the bondage and the penalty of sin. Again, I'll mention the angels announced that birth. Glory to God. Glory to God. And again, how much more should we than the angels proclaim glory to God? He did come. You'll notice in verse 28, as we find in many places in the scripture, we do have both a negative and a positive. And these go hand in hand. In verse 28, the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. He came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. You could understand these words literally. He came not to be served, but to serve. Think of the one who created all things. Think of him coming down to this earth, and not that people would serve him, but he came to serve people. He came to serve his creation. He came to serve those that he was here among here upon this earth. And again, I'll say, he came for no selfish reason. 
even though he has the preeminence in all things. Notice in Philippians, if you would, and in chapter 2, in Philippians and in chapter 2, and I'll read verse 7, where it says concerning Christ, but made himself of no reputation. He made himself of no reputation. Took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. He came not to be served, but to serve. He humbled himself, we are told in verse 8. He humbled himself. The eternal Son of God did come. And he came not to be served. Not like the other kings of this earth and those in high places. He did not come to be served. He came to serve. He was found in fashion as a man. And in verse 7 again, in the form of a servant. I refer to this many times, Isaiah 42 and in verse 1, where God the Father said, Behold my servant. Behold my servant. When, when the Son of Man did come, he came as the servant of men, but first and foremost, the servant of God. He came to serve. We're told in the book of Acts chapter 10 and in verse 38 that while he was here, he went about doing good. What a simple statement that contains so much about the servant, Jesus Christ. He went about doing good all the time, every day. He went about doing good. It did not matter if he was giving sight to the blind, healing the lame. What he was doing, he went about doing good. He came to serve. And one of the great examples of that was in the upper room with his disciples when he humbled himself and washed their feet. A servant. By the way, they never washed his. But he did wash theirs. The greatest of all examples of him serving others is when he paid a debt that he did not owe because you and I had a debt we could not pay. That's the greatest service he has ever done. 
He had to come to this earth in order to do this. In Matthew and in chapter 20, Matthew chapter 20 and in verse 28, he came to give his life. He came to give his life, to literally give it up, to give it up. The word that's translated life in Matthew 20 and in verse, verse 28 is an interesting word. If you're doing a little word study on it, just do a little bit of, of study. It is a word that denotes Breath. It's a word that's translated breath. It is a word that can mean the breath of life. It is a word that primarily means soul. Go back to chapter 10 of Matthew. The same word that's translated life in Matthew 20, verse 28. In verse Rather, Matthew 10 and in verse 28, the scripture says, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. Same word in the original language, soul. Look in Matthew chapter 16. In Matthew and in chapter 16 and in verse 26, for what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Again, I'll say it's the very same word. Matthew chapter 22 and in verse 37. Matthew 22 and in verse 37. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. Same words translated life in our text. One more place in Matthew. If you look in chapter 26, Matthew and in chapter 26, verse 38, Then saith he unto them, My soul, is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. You might remember the great prophecy of Isaiah chapter 53 and in verse 12 where it says he poured out his soul unto death. Our text back in Matthew and in chapter 20 and in verse 28, the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life. But he had to give it in a certain manner. He had to give it for a certain reason or, or purpose. To give his life a ransom give his life a ransom. 
Ransom here means simply redemptive price. Redemptive price. It has to do mainly with, with slaves that are in bondage and somebody has to pay their price in order to free them. Even so, we were bond slaves to sin and to Satan. We needed to be set free. In order for that to happen, the ransom has to be paid. The redemptive price must be paid. And think of such a ransom that was given for us, a ransom price that is so great, so effective, that no other satisfaction or price will ever be required nor paid. A full, satisfactory, ransom, or redemptive price. What was the ransom price? Jesus must give up his life. Again, the word soul is involved in that. We can never escape the biblical doctrine of substitution. It's everywhere you look concerning the matter of salvation. And in our text, to give his life a ransom for many. Now, the word many does not limit the extent of the atonement. It simply does not. If he had come to redeem all of mankind, that would have been many, wouldn't it? But the word does indicate that not all would have him as their ransom price or substitute. He came to give his life give his soul. He had to give himself. He had to literally give himself up. I'm going to read in the book of Galatians. In Galatians and in chapter 1, Galatians and in chapter 1, now read verse 3 through verse 5. Galatians 1 and in verse 3, Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice the next three words, who gave himself. Who gave himself. I, just things run through my mind. All that he could have given. He owned it all. Everything is his. But in order for you and I to be set free, this ransom price was required. He gave himself. I cannot imagine the extent and the magnitude of love and grace that is involved in these words. Who gave himself, why? For our sins. What was the purpose? Notice the next word is that, which begins a purpose clause in this language. It tells us why. 
that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. If you look in chapter 2 of Galatians, and in verse 20, Paul said, and I'll add every true believer here can say this, and we ought to know we can say this. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. You know, it's one thing to consider the great number of the elect of God, a number that we just have no idea, a number that no man can number. It is a, a great number that he came into this world to redeem and to save. But notice in verse verse 20 here, the last words of, of that, the last two words, Paul said, he did it for me. He did it for me. I hope you can say that. He did it for me. He gave himself for me. Look also in Ephesians, if you would. Ephesians, and in chapter 5, Ephesians, and in chapter 5, and I'll read verse 2, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. In the Old Testament, there were many lambs and other animals that were offered as a sacrifice for sin. I mean, there were just thousands and thousands of animals that were offered. You know, as those animals were brought into the tabernacle, into the temple, not one of them was a sacrifice until it was slain and its blood was shed. Up until that moment, they were just animals. They were not a sacrifice until they were slain. And their blood was shed. Jesus Christ, Ephesians 2 and in verse 5, hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God. He gave himself as a sacrifice for our sin. He gave the entirety of himself. 
He gave his life. He gave his soul. He gave his body. He gave his precious blood. He gave it all as a ransom for our redemption and salvation. Matthew 20 again, verse 28. The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give him his life a ransom for many. This verse, along with so many more, speaks to us of the vicarious atonement that Jesus Christ did make. No one has been or ever shall be free from the bondage and penalty of sin without this ransom price being paid for their redemption. On the other hand, everyone for whom this ransom price is paid shall be freed from the bondage and penalty of sin. While I believe, and I think you all know this, surely you do by now, while I believe in God's sovereign grace, while I believe in unconditional election, I do not believe in unconditional salvation. And I'll explain what I mean. Divine justice had placed a condition upon our salvation. Divine justice said the wages of sin is death. In order for you and I to have salvation, a condition must be met. The Lamb of God must be slain. The Lamb of God must be slain. The ransom price must be paid. That's the condition I speak of. And it's one that you and I could not fulfill. Only the Son of God, Jesus Christ, God's servant, could do this. He is the only one that could satisfy divine justice. And I'll mention this. God makes no exceptions in this matter. The Lamb of God. The Lamb of God must be slain. In the purpose and decrees of God, it was purposed before the foundation of the world, but it must actually happen. Purposing it did not accomplish it. He had to die. The Lamb of God must be sacrificed. He must give himself in this matter. I'm going to go back to Ephesians again. This time to chapter 4. Ephesians in chapter 4. And I'll read verse 32. Ephesians 4 and in verse 32. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Then you have those next two words, the same as we have in our text, even as. 
even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. For Christ's sake. What does that mean? God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. This forgiveness of sins, for Christ's sake, is not simply based on the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. And it's not simply based upon the fact of his, his sinless life and perfect character as he walked here upon this earth. This forgiveness of sins is not even because Jesus might request it. It's because he gave his life a ransom. It's because he paid the price. It's because the Lamb of God was slain. He paid the sin debt, and thereby he fully satisfied that condition of divine justice. Someone has to die for these sins. Thank God we have a substitute. Christ died for us. Paul would say Christ died for me. If you're saved, you personally had a substitute. Christ died for us. He did pay the ransom. You remember in Hebrews, and I won't turn there, where it says, without shedding of blood, there is no remission. But let us understand, it's a particular person's blood that is required in this matter. It's not my blood, nor your blood. It's not the blood of animals. It's the blood of the Lamb of God. Without that particular Lamb being slain, there is no remission of sins. I'll close just by mentioning what we read earlier in Ephesians 4 in verse 32. God, for Christ's sake, involved in those words is the ransom price the blood that was shed. God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven.